Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And through this series, we've been going through Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and 1 Samuel, and we've placed them in chronological order. And we've examined this period in the history of Israel, this period that we find in the beginning part of the Bible that explains how people were given the freedom and the responsibility to look up to God. And as long as they looked up to God and they depended upon Him, they got great victories that they didn't have to lift a finger. It was God that did it all. They just had to be obedient to what God has given them. However, in the period of the judges, we saw not only when people were obedient, but we saw when people were disobedient, that what happened is that there were consequences for it. And we saw the cycle of consequences go around and around and around and around. We watched as they started off in a period of rest where they had a period of peace and prosperity. From that time, the people, as they had this prosperous time, they would turn their backs on God, do their own things, serve other gods, until God wanted to get their attention again. He was very patient, and then he brought oppressors. Those people would oppress them for a certain amount of time until the people finally broke and said, God, we need you, we need you. Then God would send a deliverer who would deliver them from the oppressors. And once again, they would have rest. And it would go round and round and round and round. And it kept on going and continued to, to flow. And we watched through the period of the judges that this was a horrible time. Remember the, the key phrase of this period of the judges is that there was no king in that time that every man did what was right in his own eyes. And when you get to the place where there is no moral compass, when you get to the place where there is no such thing as right and wrong and there's no absolutes, you're also in a time of great turmoil. You're in a period where it is very chaotic, a period of time where it is very troublesome for a society, for a people, for a church, for any kind of thing. When you have disobedience, it's a horrible time. So, as we approach the last message in this series of the period of the Judges, we find ourselves at a period of the cusp of revival. That finally the people are getting the idea, maybe we should serve God. And remember that we have two people who are, are the last two judges during this period. You have Samson, who is physically being used to deliver the children of Israel from the oppressors. And we have the prophet Samuel, who is being used spiritually to prepare the people for revival, for deliverance, to seek God. And we find our way in the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7, and the account we see starts in verse number 3. 1 Samuel chapter number 7, starting at verse number 3, we see this. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. 
Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather Israel to Mizpah and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together in Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord for God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up a burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomforted them. And they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came to Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Sheen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto the Lord, or hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even unto Gath. And the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites." And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in a circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house. And there he judged Israel, and he built an altar unto the Lord. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a name that we find in the book of First Samuel and chapter number 12? First Samuel chapter number 12, and we see the name of the rock that he set there, Ebenezer. Ebenezer. And the word Ebenezer literally means the stone of my help. The stone of my help. And of course, it's referring to the Lord, the Ebenezer, the sto stone of help, the stone of help. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would help us in this last message of this series, that we could do a good summary, a good wrap-up, a good application. What do we learn from the period of Judges, and what are we supposed to learn from ourselves? Lord, I'm asking that you would help us as we're preparing for revival meetings next week, that they just wouldn't be meetings, but we would have revival, and it would be because we've prepared ourselves, because we've sought your face, because we've turned from our wicked ways, we've looked to you and you came down and poured your spirit upon us. Lord, as we come up to you now, I'm asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Ebenezer, the stone of our help. If you would remember <clears throat> that a couple chapters before we saw another name, remember that one of the children that was born was called Ichabod, means the glory of the Lord has departed. 
And in this time, we see going from uh, Ichabod to Ebenezer. You went from the time of the Lord has departed and has abandoned them to the time of Ebenezer or this period of revival where God poured out his spirit unto a people who was willing to be obedient to him. What made the change? What made the difference? Where are they at? Now, as we're approaching this, this being the last message of this series, what we're doing is we're finding a summary. We're finding an application. What are we supposed to do with this information of the period of the judges? Are we just supposed to look and say, man, this is horrible times. Man, I'm glad I'm not there. Well, we need to be prepared in our hearts because if we're not careful, we will be there. That we'll all turn from our from God to our own wicked ways, our own ways that we think is right. We'll run into trouble and... And we'll be at the same place where we're crying out to God, God, what happened? Where did I go wrong? And we don't want to go to this cycle at all. So what prevents us from going to this cycle? Well, the answer is revival. What is revival? Revival could be defined like this. Revival is the outpouring of God's spirit unto a people prepared to be obedient. If you've never written that type of uh, definition for revival, that would be a good definition to write down. What is revival? It is the outpouring of God's spirit unto a people prepared to be obedient. Revival is the outpouring of God's spirit unto a people prepared to be obedient. You see, there's two parts to it. We cannot have revival without God. It all begins with God. We can't force it. We can't make it up. We can't make it happen. But God's part is to pour out his spirit. Our part is to be prepared to be obedient to whatever God has said. And by the way, that obedience is not lip service. Sure, sure, I'll obey you. It's a heart prepared. I'm ready to obey God. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to do what you say. You just tell us what to do. And so when we see here, we've gone from the place where God has abandoned them, that Ichabod, the glory of God has departed, to Ebenezer, the stone of our help, the revival that is poured out. What's made the change? What's going to stick? What are we looking for? What are we applying out of this? Well, as we examine this passage, the first thing we want to do as we're preparing for revival, not just the services, but revival itself, is that first of all, we see that we need to prepare our hearts before the Lord. We need to prepare our hearts before the Lord. Now, in the period of the judges, one thing that we saw about the Lord is he began to get very frustrated with the people. There was even a time where he said, hey, finally... He, he just broke down and said, you go to your gods and ask them to deliver you. Stop coming to me just when you have problems. Stop coming to me just when you have a need. That's not what this whole thing's about. When you have a need, you go to the gods that you spend all your time with and see if they deliver you. You could tell the frustration of the Lord at that time. We don't want to frustrate the Lord like that. Isn't it amazing how even us Christians, we can live our life without regard to God But as soon as we have a need and it gets bad enough and God gets our attention, oh God, please help us. That's not how God intended for us to live our life. God intended for us to live our life in daily communion and devotion to God. 
It should be a daily walk with God. Where God is in our minds. He's in our hearts. It's a daily walk with Him. Not just a Sunday thing, by the way. Sometimes Christians compartmentize their life. They say, all right, God belongs in this box. And this box belongs family. And this box begun, uh, belongs to work. And may the lines never cross. Well, that's not how it's supposed to be at all. God's supposed to be with us when we go to work. God's supposed to be with us when we go to school. God's supposed to be with us when we spend time with our family. God is supposed to be with us all the time. We're supposed to be with Him. We're supposed to be abiding in Christ. And so, God wants us to have a difference. I want you to think logically. Sometimes we just look at our own selves and say, Well, God is God and we are we. And when we need help, God is supposed to help us. Do you ever think about... What does it benefit God to help us out when we don't serve him? Why should God heal Uncle Bob of his cancer if Uncle Bob is never going to go to church? Right? Why should should, um, God heal Aunt Susie's gout to make her feel better if she's not going to praise God for it? You ever think about that? What does it benefit God to help us out If we're still going to play games with God, if we're just going to show up and sit in our pews on Sunday and smile and then do whatever we want the rest of the week. Why should God help us? What benefit does it have for him? Why does God help people in the first place? So that way he can get the glory. So people recognize there is a God. You see, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. It is not about you and I. It is about him. We're just so selfish that we think it's all about us. We have to get our minds, our eyes off of us and off of the circumstances and see the God beyond the circumstances. And to start it off, if we're going to have revival, if we're going to have a true communion with God, if we're going to have the outpouring of God's spirit unto a a willingly obedient people, we have to prepare our hearts. First of all, there has to be a preparation. Notice with me in verse number three. And Samuel spake to the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return to the Lord with all your hearts. Notice this. Here's this if. That means there's a choice there. He's saying, all right, what we need to do is return to God. Now, if you're going to return to God, if you want revival, if you want God to be part of your everyday life, if you want God to be something more than a little thing we do on Sunday, there's got to be something that needs to change, something that needs to happen. If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, first of all, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. That the first thing we need to do, if we want revival, we have to get rid of the false idols and get rid of the false gods. And you say, well, I don't have a little statue of Buddha with his belly sticking out in my home. I hope you don't. But we're not talking about little statues. We're talking about the little G gods that control our lives. For example, that hobby that you have. How do you know that you have a little G God, by the way? What does your brain think about when you have free time? You say, well, I don't have free time. Well, just imagine that you had some free time. (laughs) What does your brain think about? What does it go to? Does it enjoy thinking about things of the Lord? Or if you were to, 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 to percentage, is it always on that hobby? 
Man, I, when you have free time, is it always about that golf game? Now, I could say that because I don't think many of you play golf. But, you know, you know what I talk about. There are some people that dedicate their entire life, their every free time to golf. What is it that dedicates your free thinking time? What is it that dedicates it? Well, let me tell you, that's probably a little G God in your life. You know, the Bible talks about we're supposed to meditate on the Lord. When's the last time that you had free time and you thought about the Lord? You thought about a Bible story. By the way, that word meditate carries from the same idea of a cow chewing the cud. You know what that is? A cow will eat grass and then he'll swallow it. And a little bit later, he'll kick it back up and he'll chew on it some more. Then he'll swallow it and then he'll kick it back up. Well, that's what we do when we meditate is that we take something from God's word and we'll chew on it for a little bit and then we'll let it sit, take care of something else. Then we get some free time. We'll bring it back up and we'll think about it. When's the last time you meditated? You just thought about something about God and his word. That's where our mind should be thinking at. Now, there's nothing wrong with hobbies and there's nothing wrong with with, uh, free time. But does it occupy all of your free time and every waking moment that you have available? Where's God in all of this? You see, God wants us to be thinking about him. And he will not compete against those little G gods that we have in our life. If we truly want revival, and I pray that if you're saved, there should be something inside of you that says, I want something more. I want God's spirit outpoured. I want something available here. I want something that God and God alone can do. Well, it starts off with us getting rid of those little G-gods. And sometimes we have to trash them. Not because they're evil and mean. It's just because they take up so much of our time that it crowds out God. That we have to prioritize. We have to get rid of it. We have to figure out what it is. So that way God gets the priority. God gets the preeminence. By the way, what does that word preeminence mean? It says in Colossians chapter 1 and 8, that Christ is the head of the body and he gets the preeminence. The word preeminence doesn't mean the top of the list. Some people will define it, but it's not top of the list. Let me show you what preeminence means. Here's my wife here. Now, what if I went to my wife and said, Honey, I love you so much. I want to let you know that out of all the women that I love, you're number one. Do you think she wants to hear that? You know what she wants to hear from me? That I love her like I love no one else. That's the preeminence. She has the preeminence. She has, is the only one that fills that slot. I love her like I love no one else. When Christ gets the preeminence in our life, you know what we're saying? Is that we love Christ more and uniquely than anything else. He's the only one that puts that spot. It doesn't mean that Christ is number one on our list. He's the only thing on that list. When we love Christ like that, things change in our life. Things are different in our life. And that only way that Christ gets the preeminence in our life, that we love him like we love nothing else, is if there's no other little G-gods in our life. And we have to take our time and evaluate because we will justify those little G-gods and explain why they're there and allow them to stay. But we have to be honest and say, God... Show me what keeps me from loving you like none other. 
first of all, we have to get rid of the little G gods. What else is it as we prepare our hearts for revival, as we're preparing for God to pour out his spirit, as we're obedient people? What else do we see here? Notice this. And Samuel spake to all the people of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. Notice this. And prepare your hearts unto the Lord. And prepare your hearts unto the Lord. You know, there's a preparation for it. If you are going to go through where we have revival meetings starting uh, at, uh, on Sunday morning. If you go all the rest of from here to Sunday morning and you haven't read your Bible, you're not prepared. You're not ready to go. If you haven't taken time to pray for revival to come, if you haven't had time to spend time with God, you're not prepared for revival to come. You see, there is a preparation. It's almost like planting things in the ground. We know that it's springtime here in Wisconsin, finally. And it's getting to the place where you're starting to grow your gardens and starting to grow your plants. Or maybe some of you have already been growing it in your houses and you haven't transplanted outside yet. But you know, you don't just throw the seed out in the grass or on the ground. You just don't put it on the top. What you do is you turn over the soil. There's a preparation for it. There is, uh, there's something to it. Well, in order to prepare for revival, in order to prepare for God to pour out His Spirit, our hearts have to be prepared. By the way, that's exactly why Jesus gave the parable of the sower. You remember that story in the Bible where Jesus is talking about that there was people who were sowing the seed and He explained the seed was the Word of God. He says that in the, the interpretation. And that some of the seed, it fell into hard, stony ground. And what happened is that nothing happened with it. Then he threw some that was on, on hard ground and, and some of the seeds started to come up between the cracks. But it ended up being withered and it died. Then you had some that was thrown and it started to grow, but the thorns started to squeeze it out. By the way, he talks about those thorns and the briars as the world. That what happened, the world choked out that growth. But there was some that was planted on gr good ground and that what happened is that it multiplied a hundredfold. You know, we need to have our hearts prepared. You can't go into a revival meeting expecting revival to happen. And you haven't done your homework. You haven't done your preparatory work. You know, during this next couple of days before the revival meeting, you need to be in your Bible more. You need to be in prayer more. You need to be listening to preaching tapes. You need to be putting away some of the music that distracts you so you can meditate on the Lord. There has to be some preparatory work in order for God to speak to us. God is always speaking. It's whether we receive it or not. And there are some people who are going to come to the revival meeting. They're going to go to all this stuff, being obedient. They're going to be here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And they're going to leave and say, well, that was nice and nothing changed. You know why? Their hearts weren't prepared. There was not the prep work done. Now, I can't do anything to your heart. You have to do it yourself. You have to put forth the work. You get out of it what you put into it, by the way. If you truly want to see God do something in your life, you have to prepare your hearts to be ready. Those who are going to leave this meeting next week, blessed, refreshed, ready to go, are those that did some preparatory work before this meeting started.
By the way, I've tried to do this the last month as we've had prayer vigils. We've had other things coming up. We've had the Lord's Supper. All of this stuff was to help soften and prepare our hearts. But now the work is yours. It's up to you. If you truly want to see God's spirit come out, if you truly want to see your life changed, if you truly want to see revival, your hearts need to be prepared. So first of all, we see as we're preparing ourselves, you have to get rid of those old gods, get rid of those things that would keep Christ from having the preeminence. The second thing is you have to prepare your own hearts. You have to be in the Bible. You cannot miss Bible reading this week because your heart will get hard and calloused And that seed, the word of God, is just going to bounce off and it's going to die. That dirty bird is going to take the seed and take it away. And you're not going to get what you're supposed to out of the meeting. You may say, well, that was nice preaching and nothing changed. That's not what we want at all. We want God to do something special in these meetings. Notice as we go on. Verse number three, and Samuel spake to all the house of Israel, saying, if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts and put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts to the Lord and serve him only. Notice this, that we must determine to serve only God. We must be determined to serve God. Do you know that there's some people who can be Christians, meaning they've come to the place where they've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior to forgive their sins, but still not want to serve God? You know, part of having revival is that God's people are revived. They have new life. Why? Just so we could get happy. Uh, we, there was a man who came up to me not too long ago and says, Pastor, I would like to have revival. Well, amen. He says, I want to see a God... Pouring his spirit. Amen. He says, I can't wait to see God's spirit uh, pour out and people start running the aisles and start barking like dogs. No, 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 no. That's not the Holy Spirit. You know why the Holy Spirit fills us? It fills us for two things, the Bible says, for testimony and for service. Testimony is to keep us for sin. So we can have a testimony that Christ is our Savior. The Holy Spirit can fill us for the purpose that we're not sinning. That we can have a testimony above reproach to influence others. That's why you need the Holy Spirit inside of your life. Second of all is to serve him. Remember, only God can do his work. I can't do God's work. God can do his work using me as an instrument. And so the only two reasons why God fills people with the spirit is for testimony and service. And those two things go hand in hand. So if someone says, I want revival, but I refuse to serve you. You're not going to have revival because that's the whole purpose of it. Why would God renew us? Why would God pour out his spirit? Why would God put his hand upon us so we can be used of him to get his work accomplished in this world? So as we're preparing for this revival, you need to prepare to say yes to him. By the way, the Bible is very, very clear. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit if there's anything in your life that you say, I will not do. If there's any line that you have put in your life that says, I will not go so and so, uh, go to this place and serve. I will not go soul winning. I will not do this. If there's something that's asked of you and you say no to, guess what? You cannot be filled with God's spirit because the choice is his. You are making yourself a willing vessel 
And God will not fill you according to the Bible. This isn't according to pastor. This is according to the Bible. That if you're not willing to be obedient to what God has given you to do, you cannot be filled with his spirit. And you're going to stifle, stifle, hinder, quench revival in your own life. If you say, I will not do this for the Lord. That is my line. You're going to be stuck and you're not going to get it. Part of preparing for revival is preparing your heart and surrendering and dying to self and say, God, whatever you would have me to do, I will do. Wherever you would have me to go, I will go. You just tell me what to do and I will do it. Remember, I gave the definition of revival. What is revival is the outpouring of God's spirit unto a people who are prepared to be obedient. There is a preparatory thing. You have to go to your life and search. Is there anything that I will not do for the Lord? If there is, then I need to take care of that. I need to fix it. Whatever the Lord asks of me, I'm willing to do. You have to prepare your heart to say yes. What else is there necessary for revival? Notice as we go on, verse number three, and Samuel spake unto the house of Israel and saying, if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts and put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And notice that word fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. Notice we have this idea that they agreed. All right, we're getting rid of these gods. All right, we're going to serve him. We're going to prepare our hearts. But there was another element there. And that was prayer. You have not because you ask not. Why don't we have revival? Because we don't ask. Isn't that simple? We don't ask. We just sometimes assume or don't care. We're apathetic. But we don't ask. One of the greatest revivalists of history was D.L. Moody and then followed by R.A. Torrey. D.L. Moody said that he took three, uh, took two continents in his hand and shook them for the Lord. R.A. Torrey, who his, was his predecessor, said that he took three continents for the Lord and shook them. R.A. Torrey preached on revival wherever he went. And he said, I have a simple prescription uh, from the Bible about how to have revival. He said that everywhere I've given this prescription. Everywhere I've given it and they've obeyed it. It has worked. He said here's the, three, the prescription for revival. He said first of all. Let your heart get thoroughly right with God. He said until this is done nothing could be done. Get your, first of all get your heart thoroughly right with God. By the way that's exactly what we just said here. That we said, get away those other gods. Prepare your hearts. First of all, get thoroughly right with God. He said, let it be a few people who thoroughly get right with God. It doesn't need to be many, but let a few people. Then he said, second of all, set yourself holy for soul winning. He says, dedicate yourself holy for soul winning. Remember, we've already said this, that they prepared the heart to serve God. What is the one thing, the one thing God has given us to do? To accomplish the Great Commission. 
He says, set yourself holy for soul winning. And he said, third of all, he says, let those people, and it not mean many, who get their hearts right with God and set themselves to go fully to go soul winning, pray until revival comes. He says, let them gather together and pray until revival comes. And he says, I've gone and preached this, this prescription for revival all across the world. And every time it has been obeyed, revival has come. You see, revival isn't just something that we talk about in the Old Testament or in the New Testament or the old church age and whatever else. Revival is something we can have today. It's something God wants us to have. By the way, the natural state of a church should be revival. Any church that is not in revival is an abnormal church or it is not where God intended it to be. The natural state of a church is revival. And it comes by God's people getting to the place where they get away all the distractions, all the little G-gods. They get to the place where they prepare their hearts, seeking God. They get to the place where they said, I'm going to serve you. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. And then they pray until revival comes. It's not pray every once in a while. It says pray until revival comes. That sometimes it takes a while. You know what we need to be spending time doing? Praying and fasting. Seeking God. The next several days you should take time. Etch out time. Fight for time. And take time to pray for revival. Pray for your revival. Pray for the church revival. Pray that God pours down His Spirit. But this is all part of this preparation. To prepare our hearts for the Lord. To fast and to pray. Well, Samuel gathered the people at Mizpah. And they begin to pray. The second thing I want to show you... <laughs> Imagine that. This is only number two. <laughs> the first thing we wanted to do was to prepare our hearts for revival. Second of all, we see in here, we need to have our hearts dependent upon the Lord. We need to have our hearts dependent upon the Lord. Now, what do I mean by this? That once we decided that we're going to pray, once we decided we're going to serve God, once we decided that we're going to get rid of the little G gods, once we decided that our hearts are going to be ready, you want to know what's going to happen? You're going to be tested. God's going to say, well, let's see if this is really so. Let's see if you're truly going to stay looking at me when some of the hard times come. So the people have gathered at Mizpah and they've gathered. And all of a sudden, the Philistines heard that the Israelites are gathered together. And they didn't like that. Now, remember what is also happening at the same time is Samson, who has had his eyes plucked out. He's been captured by the Philistines, has has been brought to their Colosseum and all the Philistines have gathered together and and Samson has crushed, knocked down the pillars and the whole building fell in and killing more Philistines at his death than what he killed his entire life. Well, they're still recovering from all the Philistines dying. And so the Philistines are pretty sensitive. They're afraid that the Israelites are going to rise up and take advantage of all the Philistine deaths. And so they hear that the, the Israelites are gathering. Now, they're gathering for a prayer meeting, but all they know is the Israelites are gathering. So notice with me in verse number 7. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Now, with great reason, 
The Philistines are going to come and they're going to wipe us out. We're not ready to fight. We're having a prayer meeting. And all of a sudden the enemy comes and he wants to ruin our prayer meeting. He wants to disrupt us. And they were afraid. You know what they're tempted to do? They're tempted to run. They're tempted to go fight for themselves. They're tempted to do whatever. You know what the correct response is? To stop and search for God. To stop and say, God, I need you. Stop. God, you, you, you told me to prepare my heart. And as my heart's prepared... God, you're going to have to do this now. You know, what's going to happen is that things are going to get knocked off in your life. You're going to come to the place where you've budgeted a certain amount. And you're going to get a bill and it's going to be a lot bigger than what you expected to be. You're preparing and you're ready to go. And all of a sudden your water heater starts leaking all over. And and you're going to be tempted to go, oh, come on. You know what the correct response is? Go to God and say, God, I'm trusting you. God, I'm trusting you. You see, you're going to be tested. You are going to be proven. You know, it's one thing to say, God, I'm going to trust you. It's a second time. It's a different thing to back it up. All right. Are you going to trust me? Well, let's test you. Oh, okay. Now you didn't really trust me. You you panicked and freaked out and did everything else instead of saying, God, I need you. God, all right. I'm looking at you. You're going to be tested. And that's exactly what happened here. So what was the response of the children of Israel? Verse 8. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. You know what their response was? Don't stop praying, Samuel. Don't stop praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Pray. Because God has to deliver us. You know what? They they learned their lesson. God has to deliver us. They couldn't do anything. And it wasn't Samuel. It wasn't Samson. It wasn't some person they had in the crowd. God, you're going to have to deliver us. God, you're going to have to take care of the situation. You're going to have to take care of this because I can't. Verse number 9. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering unto the Lord uh, for Israel. And the Lord heard him. Oh, the lamb was slain. And because of that, God heard. God heard. So they prayed and their hearts were right. And the amazing thing, God heard. God heard them. He says, all right, put you to the test. Good, you passed the test. You went to me first. I heard it. I've got it taken care of. Now notice what happens. Verse number 10. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomforted them. And they were smit before Israel. What happened? They said, oh, Israel's gathered together. Let's go attack them. They're starting to come up the hill. The people are praying. Please, Lord, deliver us. Please, Lord, deliver us. They're coming up the hill. Please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. They're coming up the hill. Please, Lord. And all of a sudden, a great thunder. And they were all knocked over. Many of them were killed with just thunder. Now, he's used hailstones. He's used other things before. Now, he just used thunder. And it knocked the Philistines down. And they said, we don't want any of this. And they started to run. And the children of Israel grabbed some weapons and they finished defeating their enemy at this time. They got great victory. Verse number uh, 11. And the men of Israel went to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came to Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Sheen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Here too the Lord hath helped us. They went and put a memorial stone and said, Man, God helped us. The stone of help. 
It was to be reminded that, look, God did help us. God did help us. Remember that time that we needed God and only God had to come through? God helped us. Oh, praise the Lord for that time that God helped us. Then after this, we also see here that not only do we have to prepare our hearts, not only do we have to depend upon the Lord with our hearts, but now we have to keep our hearts on the Lord. We have to keep our hearts on the Lord. Notice as it finishes this up, verse number 13. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. So from this point on, the Philistines didn't bother the Israelites. Now David and Saul are going to fight against them to try to keep the enemies at bay. But they could not get back into to, to Israelite territory. They were, they were subdued. They were held back they no longer oppress the whole nation like they used to for the last 20 40 years they were kept away and it was God that kept them away it was God that prepared them notice this in verse number 14 and the cities which the Philistines were taken from the Israel from Israel was restored to Israel from Ekron even to Gath and the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines and there was peace between Israel and And the Amorites, you see what's happening as they're trusting God, God gave them victory. And as they're looking up to God, he's defeating, defeating the enemy to the west. He's given them peace with the enemy to the east. What is happening? They're entering into a period of rest, a period of revival, a period where people are seeking God and looking at him. Praise the Lord for that. And as we trust God, guess what? We are going to see victories. We're going to see amazing victories. And it's God that did it. Not your pastor, not you. It is God that does these victories. And we're going to be excited for it. But notice this as it goes on, verse 15. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Now Samuel is the last judge, but he is also the first prophet. He starts the office of the prophet, and we'll see many other prophets, Elijah, Elisha. You'll see Jeremiah, Isaiah. You'll see Hosea. You'll see some of these other prophets that are used. It is Samuel who is the first prophet. The preacher who's going, the man of God that God uses to help remind the people. Notice what happens, verse 16. And he went year to year in a circuit. So he was a a circuit riding preacher, a traveling preacher from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all those places. By the way, why did he have to go in this circuit? Why? Because we have to be reminded to keep trusting God. Otherwise, we'll get back into those old habits. By the way, that's one of the wonderful things about church. It's to help keep remind us to stay looking at God, stay looking at God, stay looking at God, stay looking at God, stay looking at God. Why? Because you give us a little bit of time of peace and prosperity. We'll ignore God again. We need that reminder. Keep looking up. Keep looking up. Keep looking up. Verse number 17. And his return was to Ramah and there was his house and there he judged Israel And there he built an altar to the Lord. So it's talking about Samuel. Now you're entering into a time of revival. A time where God is going to be working. God is going to be preparing the hearts of people. It's in a short time within Samuel's lifetime. That a young shepherd boy who has the heart of God. Is going to be risen up to be the king of Israel. It's going to be this time where the Psalms are going to be written. 
It's going to be during this time that he's going to pass off and train his son Solomon, who writes the Proverbs, the book of wisdom. And we can see that God is using this time to prepare people and not only prepare people for that time, but also for the future generations. That God is always at work and he has a plan and he wants to use his people. But there's a preparatory work that we ought to do. There's going to be a time that once we decide to follow Jesus, we're going to be tested. And then even after that, after the revival happens, all revivals have an expiration period. All revivals will end. And sometimes what will happen is that because those flames aren't fanned, the church becomes colder than ever before. Why? Because they turn away from God after they knew him. They went back to their old ways. We need to continue to be reminded. Keep looking up. Keep looking up. Keep looking up. Keep looking up. It's all about him. But as we're entering into this time, revival, we're having revival meetings. And just because we have a revival meeting doesn't mean that revival is going to come. What is revival? It is the outpouring of God's spirit unto a people prepared to be obedient. As we're preparing for revival, the preparatory time continues tonight. We've already tried to prepare your hearts, but now it's up to you. This is the last message you hear from me before the revival service. Now it's up to you. Is there something inside of you that says, I want God's spirit poured out? I want something different. I want something unique. I want God to give us victories. I want God to do something amazing. Well, it starts now with our preparatory time. It starts with your Bible reading time. It starts with you deciding to seek God. It's for you to take this time. You know what would be good to prepare your hearts? For some of you to stop watching TV for the rest of the week. Some of you, it would be good just for the next couple days to leave that hobby that you love so much. For the next couple days, maybe you could just remove something just for a little bit and use that extra time to seek God, to pray. Now, I can't make you do it. It's your own choice now. But do you want revival? Do you want that God doing something that we couldn't explain other than that it was God that did it. It's out of my hands now. It's now your choice. I know what I want to do and I know what I plan on doing. I plan on preparing my heart because I want God to do something amazing. But it's your turn now. It's your turn to decide to follow Jesus. It's your turn to prepare to follow. It's your turn to remove things that would distract you From seeking after God during this time. Is there something in you that screams out for revival? As we're ending this series. We've gone through the victories to the defeats. And now we end up on the high note again. That God has given revival. He's poured out. And he showed his people once again. He's always willing to listen. He's just waiting for the people to be ready to seek after him. If you don't mind what we're going to do. Is that we're going to pray in just a second. And we're moved our prayer time from earlier in the service to now. Because I want to give us as much time as necessary to prepare your own heart. I want you to take the time to say, God, examine me. God, prepare me. God, show me what I need to do for this revival meeting. That God, pour out your spirit. I want you to take as much time as necessary 
for you to get a hold of the Lord and for you to make the decisions you need to make for the next couple days to look unto Him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.